Welcome back, everyone, to R2Cast number 110, 110, 110, sounds weird. Sounds like a binary code. I don't know why we're two seconds in and I'm already confused. Anyway, today uh, we have a vet coming on the podcast, a good friend of mine, which is always quite exciting to do. Uh, but before we introduce him, uh, I would advise there's some other uh, episodes of the R2Cast that have come out recently and coming up soon to watch. So the last episode we spoke to Amy Budge of Bigton Farm, was on This Farming Life. Yes, This Farming Life um, from Shetland. So that was quite a cool chat. One islander speaking to another one, but very much more uh, uh, um, out of the way place to, to sort of to, to farm on. It's quite an interesting chat. Uh, the next episode will be uh, 111, which will be the third installment of the R2Cast All In with a guy, and I'm going to get his surname wrong because it's very hard to say, Glenn Penlington, I think. Um, who is the current British timber sports champion. He's competed at Worlds. Um, yeah, so that's going to be fun. Anyone that is a fan of World's Strongest Man and that sort of thing will know who Eddie Hall is. He was on uh, Eddie Hall's YouTube channel last week, so that was why I originally got in touch. I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. I can't wait to hear his story, but I do also want to know what Eddie Hall was like. Um, but enough about the future episodes of the past episodes. Today we've got John Hamilton. John, would you like to say hello? How are you on, Wallace? Uh, thanks for having me on today. No, very much looking forward to it, mate. Very much looking forward to it. It's actually quite fun when you... It's, I mean, like with this podcast, you're speaking to everyone and anyone. But um, when you speak to someone you know quite well, it's always yeah. like, I wonder what I'm going to find out. It's not just <laughs> sitting having a beer or playing golf with them. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's, a, it's quite, quite an interesting uh, thing to try. Just before we get started with another episode of the R2 cast, I would like to thank our primary sponsors, A-Plan Rural. A-Plan Rural are heavily involved on the social media scene in the ag space with 120,000 followers on Instagram. They use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories. They also post to their rural community blog with further stories about these people in the industry. On top of this, they like to support initiatives that are championing the British agricultural industry, such as myself so thank you to Aplan Rural for that. I do have to mention one thing that everyone listening won't he won't notice anyway and those watching on YouTube might see as they go along. I can't help but notice that John is currently drinking from three different things. He's got two different coloured glasses and a mug. Oh I just <laughs> I've got a nice cup of tea that I made myself and then I just uh, I was working early and I'd like I'd got another glass of water and I've got two glasses of water so uh I mean, two half full glasses of water, yeah. I was just wondering if the life of a vet, you've just got butlers dropping off a new drink every time. Oh, I just, I know it's one just sitting on the table, and I was like, oh, I gave him a glass of water, and I was like, I better finish that last one. So, uh, very, very observant of you, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah, quite, it just embarrassed yeah, me from the start. <laughs> you did, I did ask you at the start if you were going to listen to it, and you said, we'll see how the first few minutes goes, but I'm sure that's, that's it. Just, yeah, delete, delete podcast. <laughs> that's it that's it that's it so uh yeah john give us a bit give us a bit of background on yourself what was what was a young a young john hamilton doing where was he and what was the plans yeah. so i grew up on a beef and sheep farm just uh, outside darville in ayrshire so grew up there with my mum and dad and my three younger brothers um yeah dad kind of ran quite an extensive sheep enterprise with um, a couple of hundred circular cows as well so got quite stuck into that at my young age Really enjoyed working at home, but also I think growing up knew as much as I loved it wasn't going to be the kind of life for me. Um, I always quite enjoyed kind of more kind of other academic stuff as well. Um, decided 
from quite a young age, I just probably kind of wanted to go down the kind of vet route. Um, and then just with kind of, I love working with livestock and then just managed to get the grades at school, kind of followed our route to university. And uh, farming wise, like as much as great, love working with livestock, I am a hazard in a tractor, have no practical ability at fencing or anything else like that with my hands. So out with the livestock side, there's not much I can probably really do that's that useful. So um, going down the veterinary route probably suited me fine. Um, in your defence, it was a suckler farm, though. So, I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I probably, it's caused quite a lot of damage probably growing up, to be honest. Uh, I probably didn't get, uh, yeah. I wasn't really in tractors that much after a point because uh, a few wing mothers pushed off and a few, a few gates bent. So It's uh, quite, quite funny when you say about fencing. Uh, whenever I go home to mum and dad's farm, like, dad's will have a bit of fencing that's needing done. But you always say, like, Oh well, it's you coming knock the stabs in. You'll never trust me to do anymore. Yeah. It's like you're a big person. You'll hit things. Don't do anymore. <laughs> my, my grandpa unfortunately had a fencing company, which my dad trained as. So my dad's fencing ability is quite high standard, and he was a bit of a perfectionist. And then you know Craig as well was yeah. a bit of a perfectionist at home. So uh, my squint attempts at putting fences up quite often. They didn't go down that well. So. Well, if 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 my dad's listening, I'm sure he'll put himself in the perfectionist line as well. Yeah. He's hearing me say that and he's telling me to shut up because that is definitely not the case. But anyway, uh, it's uh, yeah, no, I, I do I do sort of sympathize you on that side of things. It's quite it's quite common for youngsters on farms and, and certainly around animals want to get involved in veterinary when they're older. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's been quite a theme on this podcast. I mean, I've had few, a few vets on across across the time, but there's quite a theme that that is the desire and they just can't mm-hmm. get it. Because, yeah. I mean, you know, you got those grades, but I think even yeah. you'll accept they're not easy to get. No. Um, did you just put everything into it? Or were you one of those folks that sort of did all right anyway? Or No, I probably I probably did put a lot of effort into it, to be fair. Um, I kind of knew that I wanted to go down. To be honest, as much as I wanted to be a vet, there was, there was actually points where I kind of did think about medicine as well. Uh, and then as I got older, I kind of realised I just was more natural working with animals than I was with humans. Yeah. Um, so that I did really probably work quite hard for fifth year at school and um, just to get those grades. And then, yeah, it just happened from there. And to be honest, once I got into university, it was probably probably the best thing I did. I like, loved vet school. And once I got there, actually, it was the kind of hard work was worth it. Yeah. Um, like it really did kind of, for me pay off. Veterinary is kind of a weird career, like it's not for everyone. And it's similar enough to farming where there is that lifestyle aspect of it. There's a lot of like on-call long hours. But for the right person, yeah, like for me, it's been like great. I love the variety. love seeing different farms. And it's, yeah, it's, it's been good so far. Just uh, before we get into sort of life as a vet side, um, can you tell us a wee bit more about the farm at home? Yeah, so, well, Craig, who I think you went to college actually with. Yeah, he's uh, here, yeah. He's back home full time now. So, yeah, it's on a quite expensive system. They have a lot of hill ground if you have a lamb off. Um, and then we'll kind of lamb a lot of hogs, which they will lamb at foot. So there'll be, yeah, quite a big number of sheep. And then we've changed quite recently from a kind of continental cow to a kind of ling cow, which we're kind of doing a lot more out wintering, kind of calving outdoors, calving some indoors, and then getting them out quite early. Um, and there's a, well, we've got a kind of poultry enterprise as well, which Craig's kind of been quite key key part of, um, which is kind of diversified the farm, if you like, away from yeah. kind of traditional beef and sheep to have that kind of extra income as well. 
So it's, it's great getting back home. I love going home at weekends, but it's the same kind of working with family and it's like a nice getting away, nice getting away from it at the same time as getting involved. So it's, um, I'd say it's the vendor side allows, it gets a variety. See, you see different people, every day is different. Um, as much as I love the kind of farming side of it, I think being at home every single day of my life, I think I would, would struggle. I kind yeah. of like that variety and getting about. I, so, I was the same actually. Obviously, went to a different thing, but I was the same yeah. in that sort of thing. The, the working with family is an interesting one. It's yeah. for some folk completely, and yeah. for some folk, like I knew if if uh, and my dad would listen to this. Like if my dad in particular and I worked together further, it wouldn't have worked. But we got on great when we don't. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah and I get I get one of everyone at home, no problem at all. But I'm probably yeah. they'll probably say I'm maybe quite difficult to work with at times. So like, yeah, uh, yeah, nah, it's, yeah, like, absolutely. Every family's yeah. the same. Two-way thing, hundred percent, absolutely. Um, what was the reason for jumping to lines? Uh, I think it was very much probably work-wise. The sheep numbers were probably going up at the time, and then we knew the kind of poultry side was coming as well. Uh, the continentals probably took quite a lot of work, kind of high input for what you're getting out, yeah. and quite quite high costs associated with them as well. <laughs> Whereas the link out works really well in terms of you know running outdoors, running very cheaply. They're still getting a good end product. Um, can even cross with a Charlie or a Simmental Bull. Easy calving, take a lot less work. And they're actually probably quite nice natured as well to work with. Yeah. So I think for us it's worked really well. Um, and I think even down here we've seen a lot of change towards the natives uh, rather than the continentals, a lot of, kind of easier right. calving cows. I think farms having kind of less workers around, less kind of manpower. I think the kind of native cow works really well just in terms of looks after itself. Calves get up from a young age and work really well and yeah, whereas Continental, it does, they can have their problems associated with them. Um, harder calving, cesareans, maybe the vets involved a bit more, and then it's even getting calves to suckle and stuff can be much more difficult. So, Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I, do you know what, the poultry thing, I think you've mentioned that to me at one point, but I didn't mm. think I fully knew. Is that, uh, is that uh, layers or broilers? So they are broilers, but they're sort of the sort of grandparents, if you like, of or broilers, oh, okay. so it's yeah. almost a kind of breeding policy that you're kind of breeding for genetics rather than anything else. Yeah. Um, so they're kind of looking for kind of higher welfare, but quick growing kind of chickens. And then they come in as the old chicks and then they're basically reared to the stage where they laying eggs and then eggs go down to a hatchery and go to other farms. So we're just a kind of a central point for breeding, if you like. Oh, excellent. I didn't know that. I generally didn't know that. How long has that been happening for? Uh, it had kicked off, I think, when I was... It's probably 2019 that it kind of started. Right. I think yeah. it was the first year. That may be wrong. I think it actually it been started 2020. Yeah, it was just after I started working down in Lockerbie. So, yeah. Because Craig worked for Aviagen, didn't he? He did. He worked there yeah. for a couple of years. He was kind of um, a production manager there for a couple of years after he left college. And then, then he went home after that when the poster stuff kicked off. So, yeah, he's yeah. safely involved with that. Excellent. I would ask how uh, the last year's been for them, but it's uh, been a pretty tricky year for poultry, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so t- I always like to hear about vet school. I don't know why. I, you know, I think it's off the top of my head, Kate Rowell, mm-hmm. Kaz, Strahartrick, and Hazel Mullins um, are three that I proper like interrogated about vet school because it just sounds <laughs> intense. <laughs> like, yeah. T- tell us about your time at uni. It's, I mean, probably if you start off, it's quite intense socially. Like, there's so many social aspects going on in vet yeah. school. It's a bit, vet school is a bit of a bubble at university where the campus, I was at Glasgow University and the campus is just sits outside the city of Bearsden. So it's just, you're a wee bit away from the main university. And then there's vet, vet socials, vet clubs, vet sports. 
she almost you're in a bit of a bubble just with other vets and then it's quite the social life's really good at the start and then you eventually get into quite intense studying and very hard exams to probably as well like first year exams were a massive shock to the system um like we came off school we always felt like hires and advanced hires were really hard and then like i felt first year was like i scraped through first year just it was just a different level from what we had at school but then, well you get to kind of get used to that and then you can get your way through it but Vescom itself, like, there was some great stuff. Like, Glasgow, we had, um, like, we'd sport dick day every year where we played Edinburgh at different sports. So we'd rotate every year between Glasgow and Edinburgh. And it was, it was really intense, like, really competitive. But, like, the night out afterwards was, like, really good. So I had quite a bit of football and rugby doing that. And it was great. Like, when you got the win, like, it was such a good win, like, to get over Edinburgh. Like, it was so good. <laughs> um, and, of course, there's only vet, two vet schools in Scotland at the moment. It is a very competitive nature between the two. Um, so it's, that's it's that actually is is a question I'm quite interested. Yeah. There is two at the minute, but soon yeah. to be three. Uh, is that a good thing? Oh, controversial. Um, okay, the I, think, prepared, yeah. I think an extra vet school is beneficial. It's just the problem is how it's funded. So at the moment, the funding looks like it'll probably just come away from Glasgow and Edinburgh. So rather than right. solve well. At the, what our issue is at the moment, probably in Scotland rather than the rest of the United Kingdom, is obviously we get kind of free tuition at university. Mm-hmm. That's funded by the Scottish government. Glasgow and Edinburgh Vet School at the moment will subsidise that by having a lot of foreign students coming in. So a lot of American students, Canadian students who pay like extortionate fees compared to what yeah. we pay, like massive amounts. Um, so when we felt that we were going for university every year, there was more and more American students, which okay. Which is fine, but then you got to the stage when we were finishing more than half the year were from America and Canada. The worry with that is if there's less funding going to those universities, it just pushes the problem where they have more foreign students and less Scottish. So you're rather than, even though you've got an extra university, the actual end product might be the same. Uh, and then you've got a dilution, a dilution of the, the talent in terms of like lecturers who are actually at the university. I know there's a few from Glasgow who went to the new one at SRUC. So you're pulling pulling resources away from the universities already. Yeah. And they learn it a wee bit. At the same time, there's a shortage of vets at the moment. And that is one way of addressing it by having our university. And I think having a university more focused on agriculture as well, which I think SRUC and Aberdeen is aiming for, will yeah. be beneficial. So I mean there's definitely two sides of it. It's not yeah. a perfect answer. Um yeah, there are some people really against it. Some people think it's a great idea. I can see both sides, to be honest. That is why I asked, because I mean, I've spoke to some vets and you, you say about Aberdeen and they're like, yeah, no. Nah. Not, not yeah. you know, not to speak about it, and then you know, some folks see benefits, but yeah, I think quality is a big thing. I think Glasgow and Edinburgh are two, like, two of the oldest vet schools in the world, and they're both very highly ranked every year in the world, like the world rankings, if you like. Um, when we were there, Glasgow was one of number one at one, one point, Edinburgh was number one at one point, and that's that's great to have on our doorstep. It's keeping keeping that level there. Um, definitely when we were at Glasgow, there seemed to be a bit of a, a, a squeeze on funding and stuff, this stuff, so it's like. Yeah, it's, it's a hard one because I say you want more vet students coming through, but it's, if a new vet school means less students coming through Glasgow and Edinburgh, that's that's a worry as well. Yeah, definitely, I agree. I agree. Yeah, um, yeah, no, it's an interesting one. It's an interesting one. Uh, the sort of going back to what was involved, mm-hmm. is there like a project throughout, and also is it like you you've obviously wanted to go on and work uh, work in agriculture, but have you still got to? learn the, the cat side, the horse side. Yeah. That you... 
like from the start, like you're you're doing basically vet school. Other countries will do it where you specify at one point, usually kind of third or fourth year. Like, like right. in the UK, you, you're learning everything. So that when you have your final degree, you're ready to go and do do whatever side of veterinary medicine you want. We at Glasgow, we were able to choose a couple of modules. So like a couple of month long, four week modules where we were able to spec- like specifying what we wanted to do. So I was quite fortunate. I did one on farm animal. <clears throat> so that was a month. And I did a month in Morocco as well, where I worked with, with equi- the equine side of things. So I worked with horses. So that was, that was a great month. Like you're working in Africa, like in Morocco, like some like really kind of rodeo kind of outfits. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of we did or six of us went out there and did that and that was just like like basically just your almost a qualified vet at that point and just like having to go at it and it was good mm-hmm. but yeah so you get, you get to like once you get towards the end you get to like pick and choose a bit more what you want to do but up until that stage right from first and fourth to fourth year you're doing a bit of everything yeah, yeah. So it's a bit a lot to take in like there's like trying to remember everything's quite difficult but yeah you get there in the end what do you think's best that way, or the fact, or the the sort of way in other countries that you can specify earlier? Uh, I think I think you're better learning everything at the start, because as a lot of my friends have changed what they wanted to do once mm-hmm. you graduated. I think you learn so much when you graduate, and you learn so much about yourself. Yeah. Um, I think if you choose it, university, your home's quite sheltered, and if you decide, I could decide I want to be a farm vet, and that was me. That was my choice, and I've been you for the rest of your career. Whereas at least we get the ability to have a good skill level in each one, and then you kind of develop them there. Mm-hmm. You could you could argue that I think if you selected it earlier on, you'd be a better bet when you graduate. But you learn so much. There's so much yeah. learning in your first year anyway that you can mold it yourself. No um, one, no one. It's all about your first job as well. Mold you up. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Oh. No one's no one's getting a vet day one out of graduation and expecting perfection though. So. Having that, I think there's a wee bit of connectivity issues. I don't know if you can hear me. Can you hear me? Yeah, you can hear me. Um, yeah, like, they're not expecting... I'm probably now. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, we disappeared for a second there. We disappeared for a second there. That sort of... Um, having everything makes much more sense, you know, and then you, you've you got 40 years to decide where you want to go, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And, do you know, you've you've kind of reminded me of something jumping back to the the quite a lot of American students in your course um the in my masters at Glasgow there was 23 of us and three of us were from Scotland yeah uh, yeah yeah and I was aware it was because of that but I hadn't actually really thought it's, about that too much it was, it was a it was a massive like at the start like they so they come in as postgrads so they have to do a four-year course before they can even start a vet, vet course. Whereas we come in as like 17, 18 year olds. So at the start, we were probably out like most nights during the week. And we had very hungover in lectures and then lectures. And um, they're off the pain, such high, yeah. high high tuition fees for it. They're taking it so seriously. And but it wasn't until third and fourth year we actually there was a good kind of link amongst the students. And actually a lot of them were kind of great guys and like there were some. So I'm really like it's really interesting to hear their, their side of things and how they've done right. it from coming across kind of big change in culture as well. But I think a lot of them loved coming over here and kind of doing a course over here and then going back home. So right. um it's I mean it's like the, the change, I don't know if you actually heard prices, but the when I did my year in Glasgow, it was seven thousand two hundred and I got five thousand seven hundred and fifty covered. <laughs> so I spent about fifteen hundred. And they were um, certainly guys from China were spending twenty nine thousand. Yeah, <laughs> I think the value for us was I think I think honestly I think the university for each Scottish student got eighteen eighteen hundred I think it was from okay. the government. 
for UK students, so like an English or Northern Irish, I think it was like nine thousand, and Americans were paying twenty five thousand. So it was like you can see you can see why they to fund it. That's where what route they go in. It is nuts, though. I mean, when you look at it that way, I mean, it's yeah. really good to have that free education, but yeah. is that fair way of doing it? I don't know. I, um, I would just like to quickly interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information on our primary sponsors, A-Plan Rural. A-Plan offer bespoke cover for farms and estates, the UK over, and will give you tailored insurance for anything on the farm, from your old workhorse tractor that's been around 20 years, or a fancy new and exciting diversification. The only side of things, wage, like, I mean, American wages are so much higher, but they have to be. So, like, a lot of our like, um, friends in vet school who are American, they're, like, earning massive money, but they're working very hard to do it, and just always having to pay that off. Like, most of them are all on loans from the bank and stuff to do it, which they're paying interest, and it's... I can't imagine many folk pay them off before they're 50. I mean, it's nah. huge. Yeah. It's massive. It's almost like having a, like a mortgage over the top of your head, like, doing sure. it. You, you have to be really committed at that stage if you're making that decision to do it. Like, yeah. I think if you asked me if I was 18, if, I wanted, <laughs> you know, if you can be a vet, but you've got that hanging over you for the next sort of 20 or 30 years, then it's a massive decision to make. You really yeah. need to want to do it. Especially yeah. moving it's, countries well to do it as well. That's a big ask. I, uh, yeah. And, and they've sort of had four years. So it's almost like a nine year. Yeah, nine years. And then paying flights to get over here, going back and forth to his family. That's like, a massive undertaking. So I don't even appreciate how lucky we probably are. Like, how lucky yeah. I was just Glasgow is like an hour up the road. And uh, yeah, easy as you like. No, absolutely. And it's, it's a nice wee campus, the, the vet school. I did two modules there. Uh, really nice. Yeah, liked it a lot. Um, tell us about you've graduated. What's next? Yeah. So I, we basically, when we're at vet school, we do a lot of placement out of different practices. And I was quite fortunate to get kind of get around the country a wee bit. Did quite a lot back in Ayrshire. Did some in Lanarkshire. And then I came down to the NG a bit as well. So did some in Castle Douglas, Stranraer. <laughs> And Lockerbie, and just coming to Lockerbie, I really, really clicked with the practice, really got on really well with the vets. And I mean, the area down here was great for what I wanted. There was a really good variety, a lot of really good progressive dairy farms, but also a lot of sucklers and sheep as well. And then we even got like, you go into kind of towards Langley as well, you're almost into the borders and you've got quite good, like, like kind of even Galloway's and Blue Grays and stuff as well. So like you go from like mega dairies up until up to the hills and like kind of good, good hill farms as well. So there was a bit of everything down here for me. And when I started off, started, I graduated in 2019, started in September, started off as a fully mixed vet and I did a bit of everything. So worked away doing small animal, equine and farm animal. And then just over the first couple of years working, I just worked towards just being a full-time kind of farm animal vet. Um, so at the moment, my kind of like makeup would be about 80% farm animal, animal and then maybe do like 15% horses and do maybe like a bit of small animal as well when I need to cover things. But it's a busy practice, which was part of the attraction. Loads of good farms, nice clients. So I, that's, I decided to come down here from an early stage. And everyone that's there is just great. Like, like, yeah, and the moment we've got a really, really good team at the moment. <coughs> um, there's been a few vets back and forth since I started, but yeah, we've always been quite fortunate to attract like good vets, but also good company as well. Um, like really kind of sociable people coming back and forward. But I mean, it's quite nice at the moment. We've got a really good team. So like quite a sociable team as well. This... It, this always seems to happen with vets at the start. They sort of bounce about quite a bit. Is that just because yeah. you're not getting the right practice, the right work, or because yeah. it doesn't work there permanently? There's a couple of aspects. I think the main one is finding the, kind of the right practice for you when you start because there's different support networks in every practice. Um, down at Lock, here at Lockerbie, like, 
as a busy practice, you are supported, but there is a big expectation. You, just, you go out and do it yourself and then phone for help if you need it. But just if you feel confident, go for it. Uh, that works for a lot of people. Some people don't like that as much. And I yeah. think that's absolutely fair because everyone learns at their own speed. Everyone's got different confidence levels. But some practices will be a lot more supportive. Some people might feel kind of like too too supportive in terms of yeah. like they just, don't, they just want to go out and do it, do it themselves, but always having to, have to take some with them. So I think it's finding the practice that suits your learning curve, but knowing at the same time you've got that back up there if you need it. Yeah. So like we were... I was very fortunate. I was kind of let left to get on with things, but also knew I had some really good vets behind me if I needed a hand with anything and the support would be there. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I think another aspect as well is because there's a bit of a shortage of vets, there's always there's always other job offers. There's always people looking for vets. So it's almost the grass is always greener as well. Sure. If you, yeah. if you have a bad first year as a vet, then it's almost it's very attractive to go somewhere else if you want to. So I think that's an aspect as well. The <coughs> sorry, the the sitting at um you're sitting about eighty percent sort of farm animal base. Yeah. Is what what's the sort of breakup roughly of people graduating as vets? Because I assume most go to small animals. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a big change towards that. That's probably where the majority of jobs are. So like a small animal kind of uh, side of the business. As there's when you go into the cities and stuff, obviously it's all small animal, and even rurally as well, there's always that demand. So, oh, uh, it'd be hard to say. I'd say probably. Between 65, 70% probably go small animal, and then the rest will be split between equine and farm. Most people try and get a mixed job to start off, just so they're doing a bit of everything. But the difficulty with that is it depends on the area you're in. If you take yeah. a mixed job, I mean, just maybe like outside London or something, you're very much doing small animal during the day and covering odds that a farm at the weekend. Whereas, quite fortunately, in Duffy's and Galloway, you've got a really good mix of both. So, it's location makes a big difference in that as well. Um, but yeah, there's a lot, lot more going to small animal side of things. And is the practice you're based at half and half, or what's that sort of? You're obviously eighty twenty, give or take. Yeah, it's probably split majorly between small and farm. We have a bit of equine as well, probably about sort of fifteen percent equine. So we've got two, two full time equine vets, not including one of the partners. So we'll do a fair bit of equine, and then we'll maybe have. 10 or 11 full-time farm animal. We'll do a bit of small, a bit of equine, and then we'll have maybe eight or nine small animal vets as well. So it's a fairly reasonably sized practice. Um, probably the fashion at the moment is going towards more speci- specialization. So traditionally, most people are mixed vets and they're about everything, whereas now everyone's starting to go towards what they prefer. People are sort of expecting a specialized vet now. Like right, clientele yeah. more expecting if you're if you're taking your dog or cat and you're expecting to see someone who's doing small animal all the time, whereas 10, 20 years ago, everyone was expected to be a mixed vet. So that is definitely changing. I think that's a, a movement that every industry seems to be yeah. want the best at what they're doing. Yeah. Everyone wants an expert when they're paying for a service, and I think that pushes it. They don't want someone who's doing a bit of everything. They want someone who's dedicated to that profession. So I think that is where that comes from, yeah. I just imagine there's someone turning up to, to look at a dog or a cat and they're talking about the fact they were at a cow last week and they'll be yeah. thinking. Oh, well, that's <laughs> it's great. Being, I'm, I was, I'm not long back from New Zealand and they are like, the vets would like rock into the tracks in a boiler suit, take their wells off the door and just rock into like consults to see like a dog or cat, just yeah. like, like no cares in the world. And that, that was normal there. Whereas yeah. doing that here, you wouldn't really think of it. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't no, <laughs> that's quite strange. Um, that, that is actually a, point that the partnership thing that's quite a big thing in veterinary isn't it that's yeah. that's sort of like is that the goal is that the target or is that not always the case 
I think when you go into it, I think a lot of people are going to aim for that side of things. Um, the industry has probably changed quite a lot from the last 20 years, where traditionally you would start a practice, work for five or 10 years, and then buy yourself into the practice yeah. to be a partner. What has changed is there's a lot of corporate companies now, which will be I've bought up a lot of companies over the last sort of 10 years and I've got a major share of the market. That's probably inflated the price okay. of what practices cost. So there's a different ways of looking at that. You can go down the route of being working for a corporate and being a kind of practice director where you'll be, you be sort of financially rewarded for like managing the practice, but you're not actually in ownership. Uh, we are still an independent practice, which I think is a good thing. Um, and the guys in charge at the moment are trying to make things a bit easier so that kind of younger vets can buy in. So we can move towards kind of trusteeship where like um, 51% of the practice is owned by a trusteeship, but it makes it a bit more affordable to actually kind of buy in in the long term. So that would be over over time, that would be the kind of goal, if you like. Yeah. No, absolutely. That makes sense. And is, how many how many practices is there? There's, there's a few, isn't there? Yeah, so the main, the main practice is in Walker Bay, and that's, that's yeah. always been this kind of traditional player the practice has been. Uh, when I started in 2019, there was a new one opened in Dumfries. It's the Mary's. Yeah. It's, a, it's a really nice practice. That's um, like really like well facilitated. That's mostly geared towards small animal, but we do run a lot of farm out there as well. And then we've got some kind of traditional, what we call brand surgeries, which are open only certain hours during the week, and we cover Annan, Langham, and Moffat. So we, we cover a fair size of an area um, between in Dumfries. And around the place in Galloway. What's a what's a sort of maybe not day that's ridiculous, but a week in the life of you, like oh, uh, all the year round. But. Yeah, it's about a variety one time a year. So, likes of during the week, quite often we do obviously a lot of kind of we run a lot of dairy farms. Well, offer a service a lot of dairy farms, so we're in there quite a lot. A lot of farms would be in every once once a week or twice, um, once every two weeks. Where we're doing like fertility scanning, so scanning for pregnant cows or seeing cows that have not been seen or not been serviced. So, like of today, that's where I was this morning. I'm scanning dairy cows. While I'm there, I'll probably see a couple of sick cows, blood samples from calves, follow that kind of stuff up. Um, this, we're just coming out of springtime at the moment. So, we've still got a lot of, a lot of cows calving, a lot of sucklers. So, our mornings are generally fairly routine. And then it's just trying to like, the days are always fill up so quickly. It's like follow, doing emergency work, seeing sick cows. You're sometimes you're back and forward quite a lot. Um, there's not often a quiet day. Um, doing a bit of variety. So yeah, as, as, what I love is there's a lot of variety to the work. Um, I'd say like dairy farms are a lot more routine at the moment. We are down here because of the size of the farms. We're in quite routinely. But beyond that, yeah, it's still like... When a call comes in to go into a cabin, you're just having to make time to go and do it and yeah, yeah sort of day out. So it can be stressful. Time management can be a big thing because you just don't know how long things are going to take. So if you see you're going to be somewhere by two, like it's like something so difficult. You're trying to you start a cabin at half 12, you're like trying to get done. But yeah, Aye. we are fortunate we've got enough vets. If you're stuck, you can get someone else to cover yourself, <clears> which is good. But I hate to be in a smaller practice where like you're having to do, do everything by yourself and it's trying to keep people happy. But yeah. Do you, um, I mean, like, I don't word this, can't be that hard to word. Yeah, well, I guess, do you have a favourite time of year? Oh, springtime, springtime's a favourite. Is it? Yeah, like, I, I really enjoy calving cows and lamb and sheep. That's just, I think that's part of growing up that I really enjoy doing. Um, you're going into a kind of a problematic scenario and you're fine, trying to find a solution to it. Yeah. Um, I, I really enjoy that. Yeah, that's good. And then you're getting a nicer weather, cows are getting outside, it's just it's nice. Uh, and I say that that side of the work's really good. Um, 
Summer's great as well. Winter, I think, is weather-wise. Cows are, cows are housed. Weather's horrendous. Short days, yeah. You're working outside and it's cold. But like, once you get into spring, it's quite nice. Quite nice release. And uh, how... how um... Oh, that's terrible. That's such a good question. Oh, it's so good. And then you mentioned it was spring and I thought about Lamentine. Um, how... No, I don't even going to remember it. That's very annoying. Oh, not to worry, it couldn't have been that important. Um, so... Yeah, sort of got it. Remembered, remembered. How how does on call work? Is it a day a week? Is it how how's that sort of spread out? We are we're quite fortunate. We've got a pretty good roster, so our on call is busy, but we do one night a week. So I do it at the moment until Wednesday night. So that's your on call with two other vets, and you're covering small equine and farm. Quite a lot of practices will have one vet on call and have a backup if you need it, whereas we share it out quite evenly so that. If you do go to a cabin or a lambing, you're not having to worry about your phone ringing going somewhere else. Somebody yeah. else will pick it up for you. So that works really well. So at the moment, we're one one night a week. Through springtime, it all works between one and four, one and five. And the rest of the year is one and five weekends. So it's only one every fifth weekend. We'll do Saturday shifts as well between that, covering Saturday mornings for routine stuff. But yeah, one night a week and then one late night where you're working until seven. This time of year... I mean, you don't finish at five every night. That's just part of the job. Like if you're a, if you're called out to call at half four and that's that, you could be late finish, could be back at eight. But yeah, you just accept that as part of the job if you like. Every job's got times of the years. That's the case, don't they? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you did a bit of travelling lately. Yeah. Um, so went to New Zealand. What was that like? A class. So yeah, managed out. So one spring finished here last year. Our busy period, we, me and Chloe, my girlfriend, is also a vet. We went out to New Zealand, so we went out there for a cabin period. Um, I was working as a vet out there, did that for sort of six months, following them from cabin into their repro work. Uh, so did that from June till December. And then Chloe, she finds been something different, so she went to quite a big dairy farm and was uh, kind of on farm there, did a lot of kind of calf rearing, calving cows and stuff as well. So she did that for a while. But yeah, it was great, like great lifestyle out there. Uh, it was good to see how a kind of different side of the veterinary industry as well. It's just obviously very seasonal out there compared yeah. to here for we're calving all year round with dairy farms. So it's quite good seeing that and how things are done on kind of quite a big scale. Did you do any non-veterinary travelling? Yes, you did. So once we finished, I think we finished work in December and then we did a month of travelling New Zealand, <clears throat> Australia, went to Cook Islands for a week. Oh, yeah. And then we did a bit in Asia, Indonesia, Thailand and Laos and way back. So yeah, I managed to pack a lot in. So I kind of made the most of it while we're out there. So, yeah. So, yeah, it was a hot January, February, and then came back here to a really wet, cold March. So um, March was a really long month being back in the rain, in the cold. Yeah, you're sort of used to March coming, and you're like, oh, it's still raining, but it's a bit warmer. But if yeah. you just came from that. Yeah, come back from that. The first couple of weeks were really, like, it's quite hard going. There was a few times I was looking at flights back out, but that's the same earlier. Like, it's now we've got to April, May, like, the sun's out and life's good again. But, uh March was not good. What was your favourite part of the journey? Um, I think being settled in New Zealand. So we, I think we knew we were only there for sort of seven months. So we made the most of it. We did like, <clears throat> we've managed to get a lot of skiing in during the winter. Uh, I really like skiing. So like doing that every weekend, ski slopes were like an hour's drive from our house in Christchurch, um, just south of Christchurch. Getting a lot of rugby games, getting just outdoors in New Zealand as class. So really just enjoy the culture over there. And then, um, I think we've managed to get, because we're so far out in New Zealand, we're like, well, while we were there, we was able to Cook Islands. Um, mm-hmm. So it wasn't really that far compared to like, like Cook Islands, middle of the Pacific. Like it was like, yeah. unreal. 
like not that touristy. So it was like just like middle of nowhere, kind of paradise, if you like. So that was that was great to see. Um, just kind of great wildlife and like beaches and stuff. That was so good. I thought it. I thought it would have been quite touristy. Yeah. Now, I think it's just it's so far out. So I think everyone kind of goes to Fiji, and then we were like uh, we were looking at flights, and we seen like kind of cheap flights. And we're like, well, this will be different. So we yeah. got there, and it's like one road around the main island. Uh, I, yeah, it was just like, yeah, dogs running loose everywhere, like, like not much infrastructure at all, no like, no Wi-Fi, no service at all, middle of the ocean, like it was dogs, uh, dogs running loose, no Wi-Fi, no service. It reminds you of Darvel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know it's that must have been quite surreal. I mean, I don't know how far it is from. Australia, but or was it New Zealand you flew from? Where New Zealand you flew from. I think it was like yeah. a three or four hour flight from New Zealand. So but like just nothingness. Yeah, just just, just when you look yourself on a map. So if you went to Snapchat maps, you're just like just in the middle of nowhere. And then yeah. we got a flight from the main island to one of the rear islands, and I was like even more remote. There was like two hundred people lived there, and I was just yeah. like nothing, nothing there. So it was it was worth seeing. It was totally different. Like somewhere we'll never, never be back to, but. Yeah. Um, nightlife wasn't great there was a few nights we were out like trying to look for like pubs and stuff and we got a bus right around the island and like got one pub which closed at like 7 o'clock and then got the best the bus eventually got back to where we were staying and we're like oh well that, that is a night, nightlife in that Rarotonga and then we made the mistake of trying to get drinks on a Sunday and like very religious out there so we were like yeah. chased, chased out, the, chased out the, the hotel that we asked for drinks <laughs> for uh, blasphemy so yeah it's just I guess, a different I- world I guess you're not in a place like that for that, though, aren't you? I mean, just nah. the, the, the views, the, the serenity as well would be pretty... Yeah. pretty Remind, reminds you a lot like Aaron, doesn't it? Well, it's pretty busy. <laughs> <laughs> Too busy sometimes. Do you know, it's quite funny. Uh, I was speaking to Amy, Amy Budge and I was filming for the, the episode, the most recent episode, just filming with her last night. Uh, she was talking about diversification. She was like, I've got, I've got to be able to get some money out of these pesky tourists somehow. Like, Maybe start from not calling them pesky tourists. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if that would endear them too much, but um, do you see yourself doing it, uh, any other travels like that anytime soon? Oh, I'd love to. Like, we loved it when we were doing it. I think um, we left New Zealand in December, did three months traveling out of bag, and like three months in a row is long enough. But after that, we're like needing routine and then like a bed. Uh, but I mean, with me, me and Chloe, I just bought a house, so I can't see it financially happening anytime soon. So uh, maybe, maybe in three or four years, we maybe manage to go somewhere. Yeah. Like a- Asia was great. That's another place I loved. Like went to Laos, which again, not quite as touristy as Thailand, and it was it was lovely to see. So I think I've always thought like Sri Lanka, somewhere like Sri Lanka would be nice. Um, somewhere I'd love, I'd love to go and work somewhere like. Do a bit of work out there at some point as well, but I don't know how that'll happen. Uh, I say, like, imagine doing a month in Morocco when I was university, and that was like total culture shock, like in the middle of nowhere in Morocco. And it's quite intimidating when you start, and then when you get into it, it's really rewarding. So, like, I don't know, something like that would be great at some point. I don't know what will happen or not, but yeah, yeah it'd be great. Like, and even New Zealand, I'd love to go back to New Zealand as well. We really loved out there, so and, and Chloe's effect too. So is, yeah. is she is she similar to you at the minute? Is she doing similar things or? Yeah, fairly similar. <clears throat> Chloe graduated a year after me at Glasgow, and she went down to Northumberland, which she she loved it down there. Um, it was a great bit, but maybe just not quite as busy agricultural wise. Like there's a lot of beef and sheep farms, but as a vet, didn't have the quite the all year round working day farms give you. She was very seasonal, so she decided to come up here and I think 20 late back end of 2020 so she's she's been working here with me so um yeah she's a very similar similar role in the practice yeah. 
doing quite a lot of farm work. Remember, Drew does does more small animal than me, um, but yeah, gets quite involved in farm work as well. Yeah, I'm aware of two practices down there. Is it black sheep and is it fold? Fold. fold. No. Oh, I don't know about that one. So Chloe worked for Alan of Umbria, which would probably be historically <coughs> a bigger practice. Uh, right. They bought Bulver by a corporate, and I think that's like where Black Sheep came from. And then there was another one, and I think Cheviot Vets as well. So right. yeah, there's a few kind of good different practices out there. And it's, I mean, Chloe loved living down there. I love like the Fumbria is a great part of the country. Yeah. Um, and probably could have seen ourselves <coughs> there, but just didn't have the same biz that we had at Lockerbie. So that's probably the attraction was to here. It's quite a nice like community in this area isn't it like, yeah it's a nice yeah. bit and it's, like, I think everyone seems to think it's like really far away but it's really not it's no. just, just down the motorway it's like 45 minutes an hour from well it's an hour, an hour and five minutes from, from when I leave Lockway to get home which isn't really too bad but okay, it's a great bit like there's loads yeah. of stuff down here um, it's well connected like you're not far from Lake District Carlisle trains to Glasgow and Edinburgh like it's, I really enjoy it here yeah, yeah. no it's great Marshmallow Bakers. And you know, one thing that does re- require a mention from Lockerbie, and I'm not just talking about the statues of sheep, um, is that the butcher shop is amazing. Yeah, it's a great bit. <laughs> yeah, the butchery. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, and they're quite a lot. You spend some of their absolute fortune on there, couldn't you? Know? Like, you just go in <laughs> well, and you're like, I have that and that and that. So. Well, I, I took my mum and dad one day when, because like, Dumfries is class, but if you're trying to show someone like a good day, there's not yeah. like that much to do if you don't want to eat all day. Uh, yeah. So I was like, oh, I wonder what Lockery's like, not really been before. Took them down and uh, we went in there and they were like, oh, I've got to get steak pie for the, the guy that's watching the dogs and whatever. <laughs> God, we definitely spent a hundred and something in yeah. there. Like, <laughs> it was bloody good. Like, really nah, good. It's a lot of good like, local businesses and stuff. Like, there's, <laughs> yeah, it's great. Like, you try and support those bits as much as you can because they make a yeah. great job. I think they've won a, won a few awards as well this year, like just for what they're doing, which is great to is see. The, is that Carlisle's, that one? Is yeah, that yeah, one? so they'll be clients of ours as well. Yeah, they nah, yeah. do a great job in there. No, excellent, excellent. And have you have you ever done sort of young farmers or anything like that? Yeah, yeah, so like that. So I probably did quite a lot with, I was Christian's young farmers at home. So I did quite a lot probably from like 15, 15 year old, years old upwards. Uh, probably found that once I went to university, I probably found it quite hard to keep up with it. So I probably did a lot of sports stuff. Uh, when I was like kind of up to about 18 and then once I went to university I found it really hard to get back for it so still did quite a lot socially but probably didn't do much with the club itself if you like yeah um, so that, I mean that's probably one of my regrets from like university is I probably wish I'd done a bit more young farmers a bit more stock judging and stuff and then probably kind of fell away from it kind of <clears throat> fourth and fifth year at university and then came came down here and was just starting to kind of get into it and then kind of COVID hit and that kind of stopped things and then probably just probably similar to yourself probably Kobe kind of finished up and then probably quite involved in Lorna still. So yeah. probably, probably see myself as being getting a bit too old for it, but like, uh, like still enjoy the sports. I like enjoy playing football and rugby for them and, and getting back into stock judging as well. So um, saying that, you're probably, what, what age are you, Wallace? You'll be similar. 26, yeah. I think 26, yeah. So I've just turned 27, but yeah. I think yeah. My, my hairline is making me look a bit of an old man in the football <laughs> tournament. So. Yeah, it's kind of and, coming to an end. And the opposite side of things, this part probably makes me... Makes up, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've actually been noticing, this is receding quite a bit as well. Uh, you know, your hair is nice and thick, whereas mine's is quite fine, and like, <laughs> it's like going back so quickly. <laughs> it grows back too bloody quickly. This was cut to about one about two weeks ago. It's ridiculous how quick it grows. Um, it cost me a fortune on haircuts, genuinely. 
Yeah. I spend like 60 quid a month on haircuts. Oh, mine's, yeah. mine's just not that at all. But <laughs> only, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Like when I started working as a vet, like a lot of people complain that like, you go out as a new vet, like you're just being really young and inexperienced. But I think my hairline gave me a, uh, made me look as if I'd been like working for a couple of years. So uh, it, it helped. It helped when I graduated. So I do plan at the end of the episode and asking you if you have any tips for folks getting into veterinary. So you'll be saying shaving this bit. And then. Just, yeah, <laughs> give yourself a look of experience when you start. Um, do you know, we, we could speak about veterinary and whatnot for forever, I'm sure, John, but I, there's one thing I really wanted to ask you. Darvel FC, obviously, oh. what, what, what a time for them last year. Story, story of the season, so. Tell us about that. Yeah, I think I think there's um, they are probably the man city of Ayrshire football. So you can take that as a good thing or a bad thing. So uh, they have Brownings and Bakers, so who they will do the Killy Pie, which I think is now the Kilmarnock Pie. Yeah. Um, they've put a lot of money into it. So they've got like unreal changing rooms. Changing rooms are like neon lights, blue lights, Darvel FC insignia on the floor. Like the setup they built is great. Um, and I think. It's not really, I don't know if it's a football fairy tale because I spend probably quite a lot of money for the league. Yeah. They're getting like boys who are playing in League One and League Two down to play in the West of Scotland League, but fair play to them. And I, but I mean, the result against Aberdeen, when they beat Aberdeen, doesn't matter how much money you spend in the West of Scotland League, that's that a massive result. So yeah. I was on Magnetic Island in Australia when that game was on. So I was watching it at eight o'clock, I think, in the morning. We were getting a ferry back onto the mainland and I was sitting watching it on my phone. <laughs> uh, so I think I think I was probably the only person watching that game not not in Ayrshire or not I, in the west of Scotland I was going to say I can't imagine there was many folk on that boat watching it anyway but, oh yeah it was, it was great a great story and it was just I was hoping like, I was coming back when the I think the semi-finals would be on so if it had been Falkirk I'd have been there I'd have been yeah. in the semi-final but I missed that one unfortunately but uh, yeah but yeah I've always been a fan of Kamarok FC but like Darvel like see Oh, you've got to like that's yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so if if they got the final, would that have been like a when they when who was it? Is it Wraith or Dingwall? Or is that Ross County? Yeah, uh, Ross County. Ross County. Ross County. They just said Dingwall just emptied for the Empty, day. Would that yeah. have been the case? Like, I mean, if you got everyone I think Darvel, I don't know, it'd be like five thousand people in Darvel or something. So you'd yeah. be like fill one half a stand at Hamden, I suppose, wouldn't you? Like <laughs> from away in it. So yeah. It'd, it'd, been a, it'd have been a great story, but yeah. I don't know. Hopefully they kind of fell off a wee bit in the league this year. So um, I think it's like it was so hard for those teams to try and get into the league structure. I think it's like really hard to get promoted. So I think if the money keeps going into them, they'll do the fine. But the worry about that is if the money disappears, then they've got a long way to fall back down. But yeah. Well, maybe not quite the Man City then. Maybe more someone like uh, who's had money ploughed into them and done nothing with it. Grenna a few years ago. Grenna were like that. Grenna yeah. went all the way up to the like, Premiership and they were like, non-existent. But, like, well, they, they did a Scottish Cup final. Against yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, money moved. Yeah. That's the, yeah I, even if it is driven by money, there's something really nice about it. You yeah. know, just seeing a... Yeah, seeing a small team like that going all the way there. Like, yeah. That, that was... I just got you to miss that game against Aberdeen. But, yeah. Yeah. You never know. Nah, I mean, like, something like the Leicester one was kind of nuts. Uh, yeah, even though they were top for the last six months of the season, like you were like, this can't happen. Let's see this can't happen. Uh, but uh, it, it wasn't a money ploughed in deal, I guess. It was just clever. But anyway, we we got into something completely different there. But I had to I had to ask a man from Darvel about that this yeah. year. It couldn't could not have happened. There's not <laughs> not much good thing to say. Oh Darvel was a great bit. Like, like we went to the Premier School on Darvel and it was great. But I mean, yeah, 
people have their opinions about Darvo. And probably probably Darvo FC is probably one of the, the highlights of Darvo at the moment. I think every little sort of rural town yeah. in Easter has got that sort of name, hasn't it? It's just yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if that's just each other causing that name, you know. Uh, yeah, good bits uh, and bad bits, but those are towns, yeah. Yeah. So it just bought a house. I take it the 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 there's no sort of major plans for one jet setting or two taking a job anywhere anywhere no. further. Employee, no. We sort of jumped into it, yeah. So um yeah, that's I'm meant to be at home at the moment, and then my Wi-Fi was cut off today. So uh I sent my Wi-Fi up to move tomorrow and then I went home to start this and then there's no Wi-Fi and I was like, ah, Sky have like cut me off. So, uh, yeah, moving tomorrow. So I think it'll be quite a stressful weekend and next week will be quite busy moving things across and stuff. But yeah, we decided, we obviously came back from travelling, decided we could think about buying a house in the next couple of years, but yeah. we thought we better just go for it and like get yeah. started. So yeah, it's been a big learning curve. Like, um, we've fortunately had a really good like solicitor who we sort of, we know know his part uh, his partner and got us in touch and he's been really good at kind of like taking us through the process because like it's a massive thing when you're buying your first house like yeah. everything's kind of new to you um you've also been through that experience yourself all uh, right you need to throw that in there too yeah. <laughs> <laughs> done it twice mate <laughs> good investment um but yeah like it's i mean it's like when you haven't done like a law degree or like a financial degree or anything like that it's a big big learning curve so like it's good to have someone keeping you right and yeah, we decided to go for it. Like, yeah, big it's, moves. You know, it's an interesting one because, like, um, I wouldn't class myself as an idiot. You, you and Chloe are obviously not, you know. But yeah. it's it's stuff that I mean, when I bought it the first time, yeah. PhD student and a lecturer, like, clearly not idiots either. But I knew about two percent of what we went over. Like, you know, yeah. it's, you, you should learn this stuff, not as in depth, but a bit more at school yeah. level. A hundred percent. Like, because like I say, like you think you're quite scratched on and you start speaking to some of these like, lawyers and stuff and it's like, all of it goes over your head. But I say, we were quite fortunate that our like, lawyer was like, took his time and actually like, spoke yeah. to it and we learned quite a lot off him, which was great. He had a lot of time for us, which really helped. Uh, but yeah, like you could easily get yourself in a situation if you didn't know what you were yeah. doing. Um, but no, nah, it's been, I say, we, we really enjoyed living down in Duffy St. Galloway. We always thought, I always thought I'd end up back in Ayrshire, back in Lanarkshire, but like, like times have appeared, really enjoy the job, enjoy the area. And I say it's not far, it's an hour from home for myself, and it's the same for Chloe and Bigger. So like it it works really well. Um so yeah, it's good. And the, and the thing is, I mean, like even even though it is a big thing, you're not entirely tied somewhere to bought a house. Like there's, there's no. definitely you know, but um it's yeah, it's it's a it's a, a fun but exciting time. And all of these things, I mean, I've just set up self-employed recently in the yeah. last month ago, and I'm like I've I even said to myself, I was like, I don't need an accountant. How hard can it be? And then I got like 10 minutes in and I'm like, I need an accountant. This is very hard. <laughs> uh, tri- tricky time. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it's great. It's, it's very exciting. So is that the first thing you've bought? Yeah, it's the first time. First time bought a house, yeah. yeah. And I say, like, oh, it's just been, or like we could sell on it for a couple of years and not do it. And then you wish you had. So yeah. I wish I bought a house like two years ago when interest rates were lower, but oh, what, what can you do? So. No, nah, but see, everyone says this and you, and you hear folk on, like I was going to say the news, I don't watch the news, but I'll try and pretend I'm fancy. Uh, like talking about the fact that interest rates have thrown through the roof yeah. and whatnot, time to do it was then, and yeah. prices starting to decrease. The way I see it is, I am not a good saver, and putting it into a flat or a house is yeah. a good way of saving, and it's there, isn't it? So, 
Um, and I think as long as you budget, you know what you're paying for, I know you can't yeah. pay and it's absolutely fine. Uh, That's so it. Way out. Yeah. And the whole idea of paying rent is just helpful. Yeah. <laughs> like and rent, and rent prices down here are huge. Like I think Evan seems to have jumped so much in the last couple of years. I think everyone's everyone's want to put the D and G action. Everyone's want to yeah. to move to the countryside. So like house prices and like rents went up so much. So it just seems so much more sensible paying a mortgage than paying paying, paying an estate for an expensive rent for a farm bungalow. So I mean, definitely a sidetrack and expect to go down. But the yeah. rents here are insane. I mean, yeah. like this this flat, I, I think it's quite funny. There's a vantage point in this flat. You can see the whole place. Like, it's a mousetrap. It's tiny, yeah? The mortgage is, I think, 270 Yeah. Uh, I'm overpaying for obvious reasons, but I can rent this out for 650 Yeah. It's nuts. Like, we were we were in Australia trying to, like, to, to get a flat or a house sorted out for when we came back, and we were, like, applying for, like, houses, and it was, like, there was, like, 40 people going to see them. And we were obviously like in Australia. Yeah. And we were like, no chance, no chance. And even then, like, they're offering it was like £700 for like, a two bedroom house. And it'd be like, no cooker, no fridge, no washing machine. And they're like, just charging silly money. So, yeah, that kind of kind of forced our hand. But we're yeah. like, nah, it's, it's a time to buy something. Like, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And as I say, like, we're not, we'll probably see ourselves as being here long term, but I say, like, like, veterinary has got a really high dropout rate of like people not wanting to do the job anymore. I think you have to make the job work for yourself. And I say, we both really enjoy it at the moment. So like, you might as well make the most of that, settle yeah. down when you can. Things can change in the future, but if you're enjoying it, then kind of go for it. So No, absolutely, absolutely. Um, no, you're listening, John. It's good crack. As I said at the start, it's always quite fun to have a chat with someone yeah. that you know anyway, uh, but sort of to, to hear some other things and sort of go into the nitty gritty of stuff. So it's been a pleasure having you on. No, um, absolutely, no problem. Hope you've enjoyed it yourself. Uh, yeah. Hope, hope someone listens. <laughs> oh, I'm quite certain they will. Not even just for you. It's such a massive podcast these days. <laughs> yeah, just rolling, rolling in it, Wallace, rolling in it. Well, but let's not go uh, that, is that your Is that your second or your third flat you're sitting in at the moment? Have you, have you going on? That's my what, sorry? Second or third flat you've bought now? No, it's my, well, it's my second property to buy, but I think you know better <laughs> than anyone that the first one's still up my ownership. <laughs> Anyway, there's still two questions to ask. Let's not pretend that I'm more uh, well off than I am. Uh, I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2Cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, The Scottish Farmer, and I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. There's there's two questions we end every podcast with, and that they are: where do you see yourself in five years? And yeah. if you have any tips for folk getting into veterinary, what would they be? Yeah, so five years time, I, I reckon I'll still be still be here in DNG. I think I really enjoy the job at the moment, enjoy the variety. So I think the next step for me, I will probably do a bit of further education. Uh, we get a chance to do a bit of like our diplomas or certificates, where we you do it probably mostly at night. But it'll be kind of a progress over a year where you follow a few cases through, do a lot of kind of reading presentations and basically show yourself to be, we talk about evidence-based medicine, where you're kind of backing up your findings, using a lot of like um, basically articles, readings to like prove what you're seeing. So that would be the next step for me, either sort of specialised in kind of reproduction in animals or just in general cattle health. So I think I'll look to do that in the next couple of years just because I probably am a bit of a geek at heart and I see that yeah. as the next step. Um, I think like a lot of jobs 
still really manual and you do a lot of like kind of like manual work during the day and it's good to like do that side of things as well so you're still kind of progressing yourself knowledge sure. yeah so i think that'll be the next step um and i think like i say we're enjoying the area as we're working for us at the moment so like we'll keep keep doing that i think that's I think that's an important thing. I think veterinary, there's so many different aspects you can go down. Um, yeah. You don't just have to be a mixed practice vet or general practice. It's making a job work for you. So it's like finding what makes you happy, find the right area, find right job and right part of the industry. So I think for me, that's that's in farm practice at the moment. Um, so we just keep keep working away and doing that and really enjoy the clients, enjoy the area. So yeah, I think we'll be here for a good couple of years yet. Um, slave, slave to the mortgage machine. <laughs> that's it that's it <laughs> um i think tips for getting into it like it's probably just getting as much hands-on experience as you can it definitely probably does help coming from a farming background if you want to be a farm vet but you can definitely make up for that by i think even just i was obviously from a beef and sheep farm my knowledge of the dairy industry would be pretty minimal when i was probably growing up so just getting into farms milking just milking cows starting off with doing that doing a couple of shifts it's amazing what you pick up in terms of just talking about mastitis, cell counts, service dates, stuff like that is like, can be alien to beef and, the beef and sheep side, but it's just knowing the lingo and seeing how that, that kind of system works. Same as like getting, getting in stables, working with horses. I think it's all really important. It's not just about being same practice in a vet, kind of in a vet practice and just watching a vet work all day. It's about getting like, getting on farms, getting into stables seeing different people work and yeah. working on that kind of client communication as well where you're working with different people. So that's probably the main thing. There's probably way too much focus on grades because you don't really need to be that intelligent to be a vet, but you need to be more practical and problem solving. So like everyone focuses on the grades, but really having that all-rounded approach to client communication, working with animals is probably more important. I would it's just say. the first sort of barricade though, isn't it? It's the first oh, thing. Oh, massively it is. It's just getting past that. Once, yeah. once, you, once you get past that, I say the, vet, the exams of vet school are hard, but you, you get yourself through it. Um, yeah. You don't need to. The problem with vet school is you're constantly having to get an ace. You feel that like every exam has to be perfect. Whereas at vet school, you can, you can I say, first year I scraped by, I'm pretty sure, I think it was like a, a, a good D that I got, which right, I just passed. And I was just probably getting through first year. Yeah. Went out way too much. Didn't really know what to expect in the exams. And I got myself through it. And then it just fell in place after that and you got in fine. But once, yeah, once you get past that point of school exams, you're all right. Once you're in vet school, there's the odd person, like people do have to reset, reset years, reset exams. A lot of my friends reset exams. That's not a massive issue. It happens. Uh, everyone learns their own time. And even recent a year does happen as well. But once you're in vet school, generally, you see yourself to the end. Well, that's the thing. You're leaving at, what, 22? Yeah, 22, 23. Yeah, it's been young, like, you know. Yeah. Um, it's a long it's a long degree like five years is a long time and like obviously i'm the old craig robin who were all younger than me and they were all working full time and i was yeah. university, which is so frustrating when like they're all making money and working and you're still still at school effectively but it's worth it and you can work anywhere in the world really like glasgow and edinburgh you've got the ability to go and work in new zealand and australia without having yeah. to do any extra exams or anything so we're quite fortunate we've got ability you'd if you wanted to work in america and canada our degree covers you for that. You have to do an extra exam, right. but you, you can do it. There's only so many vet schools. I think there's only like three or four in the UK and Edinburgh where you can do that. So one of my good friends, he is going to Canada this year. He's just passed the exam, his entrance level exam to do that. So, I mean, you can work all over the world, obviously New Zealand, Australia, Canada, America, like it's great. 
it's quite an important thing you mentioned there about the fact that your brothers were like they were earning and you were sitting yeah. there, like, whatever. It, it's a a long process that because I was at uni for the same amount of time as you, yeah. different. But there was all your mates were somewhere setting up self employed and making more money than probably I yeah. still do now. But um, it was quite nice to then get out and pretty quickly be making similar money for a lot less hours. You know, it was, it was quite yeah, nice. yeah. It's, it's you see, it as an investment if you like of your yeah. time. But yeah. yeah. I think by by final year I was like ready to go ahead and get to work in life. Yeah. Like it was like time to do that. Um, but no, like university, some great experiences that I'd say did Morocco, the other place I did, we got to go to Botswana at university for oh, a month there. So it was like full safari, like yeah. working with like rhinos and stuff. Um it was class. So like it gave me that experience as well, which I'd never have done if I wasn't yeah. there. So that was really well, good. Believe it or not, you're not the first person who's been on the R2 cast that's worked with rhinos. There you go. Second to second. And I just kind of want to show off a, a little bit here. Um, I do this sometimes. I've got three things that I'm really good at. One of them yep. is telling uh, like what number someone is that's been a guest on the podcast. It's so, hey, number one, 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 zero, one, ten. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I did have to check that, but in fairness, <laughs> like, it's, I seem to know like longer ago. Like I said, Hazel Mullins earlier, she was 29, Kaz was 32, and uh, Kate Rowell was. 39 but was originally 42 I had to swap anyway that's not what I was going to do my one of my other things is capital cities and I'm going to go for the two countries you just mentioned Morocco Rabat Rabat yeah. I never know how you said it and then I've maybe set myself up for a fall here is Botswana Gabaron yeah pronounced Habaron it's pronounced Habaron oh so, it's like uh, a chili yeah um, there you are. Well, I, I, as I was saying that, I was like, I have cocked up big time. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you, you executed it perfectly, but like, uh, Haberon, like Haberon Airport, our bars went missing. So like, I've been in Haberon Airport a lot. Like we had to like, bribe men to get our yeah. bags back. We had to slip a couple of $20, $20 notes. Yeah. So like, they were just like, our bags were there the whole time, so they were missing. And the only way to get them was like, paying the right person. Like, but do they make quite a bit of money doing that then? That's, that's I reckon that's a bit of a side earner. Yeah, like you see, see, the, see the white tourists and they're like, bags missing. Yeah. And then it took, a, it took a day to realise actually you just had to pay, pay the tax. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, those things you learn. I think like, in Africa, those kind of things happen and you just have to like have extra cash in your pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, very good, very good. No, here, as I said, John, it's been a pleasure. We yeah. spoke off camera about... Um, how the time goes by it's already been more than an hour it does sort of just <laughs> and, uh, it sort of flies by but no thank you for coming on appreciate no, your time good. I appreciate it yeah very good and uh, as I asked uh, and I'll ask you now we've recorded it um, still not finished the episode yet I'm going to ask us and leave <laughs> it in uh, will you listen back will what sorry will I listen what? back yeah hey, we'll see we'll see how the first couple of minutes go if I can listen to my voice that's the main thing like it's uh, it depends. I'll reflect on all the rubbish I've spoke, and I'll be like, oh, I don't know if I want to go through that again. We'll see. You, you, and, you and Chloe can sit and watch it over dinner one night. Uh, <laughs> just yeah. not, we'll see, we'll see. No, here, as I said, thank you very much. Uh, for those of you listening, hope you've enjoyed another episode of the R2Cast. Uh, moving on to the next episode, number 111, which I am actually going to be filming in about an hour's time, uh, is with the current British Timber Sports Champion, and as a man who likes to think they're pretty good with an axe, I think I could take them. But uh, we'll see when I speak to him. And I think we know the answer to that is absolutely you will not be able to. So, um, yeah, that's the next episode coming up. Thank you very much for listening, John. Thank you for coming on.
and uh, we shall see you next time. I hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the R2Cast. I just want to take this moment to quickly thank our primary sponsors once more, A-Plan Rural. If you follow A-Plan on social media, you'll see the work they're doing to really promote British farming and back our industry. It's been a pleasure working alongside A-Plan Rural so far and long may it continue. The values of A-Plan Rural runs perfectly in line with the whole mantra of Rural to Kitchen and I'm glad to have them on board. Check them out on Instagram at A-Plan Rural and on Facebook at A-Plan Rural Insurance. See you for the next podcast.